It's Easter weekend, 1967, and there's a guy named Jim who has decided that he's been working very hard at his job in Bangkok and wants to enjoy a long weekend away with his good friend Connie. They flew into Penang, Malaysia, and spent the first day enjoying some shopping and restaurants, and Jim even got a new haircut. The next day, they took a long taxi ride to the Moonlight Bungalow, the vacation home owned by two of Jim's friends who were eagerly awaiting the pair's arrival. The Moonlight Bungalow was located on a hilltop in a very small town called Tanarata in the Cameron Highlands of Malaysia. It's an area that's known for its lush jungle, its hiking trails, a small golf course, and just a decade prior, its violent history in the fight against the country's British colonizers. By all accounts, the getaway started smoothly. Once Jim and Connie met up with their friends, the Lings at the Moonlight Bungalow, the friends enjoyed hiking and meals and engaging conversation. But on the last day of the trip, that relaxing getaway turned into an international nightmare that would eventually lead to the largest manhunt in Asian history to date. That last day was Easter Sunday, and it started with the four friends deciding to attend the nearby Anglican church. Connie and the Lings had arrived by car, while Jim, who always preferred to walk, met them there on foot. The group then agreed to go on a picnic after church, complete with blankets, food hampers, and beer. But Jim, the group noticed, seemed restless for still some unknown reason. Jim had actually tried to convince his friends to not go on the picnic. And while he eventually acquiesced to their wishes, it was clear that he was eager to leave the picnic as soon as possible. Before the group had completely finished their meal, Jim, who was usually the king of good manners, had started packing up the plates and putting them back in the basket to hurry the group along. When the group returned to the house, everyone, including Jim, agreed that a nap was in their immediate future. And when they arrived back at the bungalow about 2.30 p.m., Connie went to her room and the Lings to theirs. The group had agreed to rendezvous that evening at 6 o'clock for one last happy hour before Jim and Connie left the next morning. What happened in the next 30 minutes to three hours is still unclear. But five things are certain. Number one, Jim never took a nap. Number two, Mrs. Ling, resting in her room but not yet asleep, heard the sounds of an aluminum chair being placed on the veranda about three o'clock in the afternoon. A few minutes later, she heard one set of footsteps going down the gravel path that led toward the road. Number three, neither the Lings nor Connie ever heard a car traveling up the road, and no one ever heard voices. Number four, Jim left behind his medications, his wallet, his cash, his passport, and his jacket. And number five, Jim was never seen by anyone again. When I learned about Jim's disappearance, I could not stop wondering about this case. 
And the more I learned about his past and the details of that weekend, the further down the rabbit hole I fell. His story actually kept me up at night, and I became so interested in this case that I wanted to make a podcast about it. Because Jim was not just an average guy. He was actually probably the most famous American living in Southeast Asia at the time, and he just might be one of the most intriguing people that you haven't heard of yet. From 13 Media, I'm Trisha Jenkins, and this is Worldwide, The Disappearance of the Thai Silk King. Jim's full name is Jim Thompson, and the mystery of that weekend in 1967 has captured people's interest from all over the world for decades. And I bet that you're familiar with some aspects of Jim's life, even if you don't know it. For example, I bet you've seen or at least heard of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical The King and I, or maybe you've seen the cinematic classic Ben-Hur. Well, Jim Thompson was the guy who created the silks that were used in the costuming in both. In fact, the mass media dubbed Jim the Thai Silk King, because when he moved to Bangkok in the 1940s after the end of World War II, he started to turn what was a local cottage industry into an internationally renowned fashion empire. The silks that both he and Thailand would become famous for graced the shoulders of queens and movie stars and models inside the pages of Vogue magazine. This is Dr. Lou Tumlin. Dr. Tumlin was living in Bangkok in the 1960s and has researched the Thompson case extensively. When he arrived in Thailand, the Thai silk industry was virtually defunct, and it was just a few, mainly Cambodian families across the Klong or, or canal from his house that were creating a little bit of Thai silk. And he came across it, and it was like, this is amazing stuff. It's just beautiful. It's not real smooth. It's sort of rough textured, but iridescent, and just fabulous pinks and greens and all these incredible hues that you really don't find even in other silks. So Jim realized that this was amazing. And at first he started selling it by standing in the lobby of the Oriental Hotel and sort of handing it out to Westerners who visited the hotel. And so that got it going a little bit. But then he went to New York and he realized that the King and I play was about to go on. And he managed to get the tie silk into the hands of the set designers and the costume designers. And they went nuts for it. So they outfitted the cast in tie silk. And that really brought it to people's attention because people saw it on stage and went crazy for it. And then he also did the same thing with Ben-Hur, and that, again, really launched it. So very quickly, movie stars started picking it up. I mean, Grace Kelly was buying it. Elizabeth Taylor was buying Thai silk. And then, of course, Thai royalty, Queen Sirikit, the Queen of Thailand at the time, started becoming a patron of Thai silk. And pretty soon it just exploded and he was employing 3,000 people and, you know, many competitors sprang up too. The establishment of his business, the Jim Thompson Thai Silk Company, was half the reason that Jim quickly became one of the most famous American celebrities in Asia. But his house was the other half. 
Instead of building a lavish Western-style mansion on a massive plot of land, Jim instead purchased six traditional Thai-style homes and connected them together on a property right across the Klong from where his workers produced the Thai silk. It had no air conditioning, it was elevated on stilts, and today his home is one of the top tourist attractions for visitors in Bangkok. And that's because not only is the architecture of the estate gorgeous, the home was and continues to be adorned with priceless Asian artifacts that Jim spent years collecting. And both of these things made a visit to Jim Thompson's home a must-do if any celebrity or politician were coming to the region. Robert Kennedy, Tennessee Williams, Ethel Merman, Truman Capote, Somerset Mom, Greta Garbo, these were just some of the stars that visited Jim at his home in Bangkok. And Jim eventually became so famous that you could send a letter from anywhere in the world simply addressed to Mr. Jim Thompson, Bangkok, and it would find its way to his letterbox. All of Jim's fame, fortune, and friends meant that when he went missing in 1967, people noticed. And when hours and then days and then weeks and then months passed without any single lead turning up to help authorities learn what had happened to Jim, people started to talk. And his family started to grow desperate. Originally, they had offered a $25,000 reward for information that would lead to Jim's whereabouts. Not a small amount in 1967, especially in Southeast Asia. When no one credible came forward, though, Jim's sister Eleanor took matters into her own hands. And she hired a man named Peter Herkos, who was at the time the world's most famous psychic celebrity. In fact, he had actually worked on the Boston Strangler case, and Eleanor hoped that he would be able to locate her brother where the police had failed. In the absence of evidence, theories that Jim had been kidnapped or had died at the hands of nefarious players also started to flourish. Jim's involvement in art collecting and silk manufacturing definitely earned him some enemies. At the time of his death, Jim had amassed an art collection worth about $1.8 million in today's money. When he died, that collection was meant to be donated to the Siam Society, a cultural institution under royal patronage. However, five years before his disappearance, the Thai Minister of Fine Arts had raided Jim's home, taking possession of five priceless Buddha heads that Jim had recently purchased, but which the minister said had been illegally and unethically obtained. From the fine art director's point of view, the heads belonged in the National Museum of Thailand, not in Jim Thompson's home, which was only open to the public two days a week. Jim argued that he was amassing a collection that was already open to the public and would be donated to the Siam Society after his death. But the director confiscated the heads despite Jim's protest, and Jim was so angry about the situation that he revoked his will, leaving nothing to the society, and he resigned from its council. His new will left everything to his nephew Henry, and today the art collection is managed by its own foundation, called the Jim Thompson Foundation, a situation that angered a lot of people. 
Jim's success in the Thai silk industry also created some other rivals in the form of business competitors who may have wanted to put Jim out of business. In one sense, Jim Thompson had very few enemies and, and everybody says, oh no, everybody loved Jim. But in another sense, he, he did have some enemies. One was Mrs. Sarit, who was the widow of Prime Minister Sarit, who was a, a Prime Minister of Thailand. And she was a definite business rival of Jim Thompson. And it's possible that she was such a vicious rival that she wanted to get rid of Jim and basically take over his business. Jim also had a secret past that caused more raised eyebrows when he disappeared. You see, Jim was a former officer in the OSS, the forerunner of the Central Intelligence Agency, or the CIA. Jim worked as a spy behind enemy lines for much of the 1940s and essentially served as the station chief in Bangkok after the war ended. Jim was also a bit of a player. He had multiple affairs with U.S. politicians' wives while they were visiting or serving in Bangkok. And it's possible that one of those men wanted to get rid of Jim for intruding on his marriage. This is Barry Broman, a CIA officer who worked in Southeast Asia and specifically in Thailand for several decades and is an expert on Jim Thompson. A lot of people thought Jim was gay because, you know, he's a bachelor. In fact, he wasn't a bachelor. He married a girl, and she ran away with his best friend when he was off in OSS. Now, I think that may have turned him against marriage, but he wasn't gay. He, he only slept with married white women, okay? And we interviewed one of these women in her 70s. So she'd been one of Jim's sales girls. It was a much sought after position. And these women worked for free. Some of them were diplomatic wives, some were single girls. And those are the people that Jim was intimate with, not with any ties, and certainly not with any Thai boys. So is it possible that Jim was murdered by a jilted lover? Or was he kidnapped or killed by one of his business or political rivals? Is it possible that Jim used his spy skills to maybe self-disappear and create a new life for himself in a different part of the world? And what about the idea that Jim, who loved to hike, simply went for a walk in the jungle while his friends napped and that he met with a fatal fall? In fact, a lot of hikers have simply just gotten lost or disappeared in the jungle of the Cameron Highlands, in 2016, a Malaysian botanist named Forrest Gan was studying the world's largest flower species, the Rafflesia. Its bloom can span more than four feet in diameter, and it also smells like rotting flesh to attract insects for pollination. Gan was an experienced mountaineer in his early 70s who set out for a solo research trip to the highlands on New Year's Day. His last cell phone call was placed at 2 p.m. on January 5th, and that was the last time that anyone ever heard from him. As was the case with Jim Thompson, those closest to Gan lodged a missing persons report, and an official search party was launched in which his family offered a sizable reward for information on the botanist's whereabouts. But seven years later, no clues have turned up and Gan became another hiker in the highlands to just simply disappear. 
The differences in the Gann and the Thompson stories, however, are striking. While both men were in their twilight years and had extensive experience in jungle trekking, theories of a larger conspiracy never swirled around Gann's disappearance. People, it seems, were just more apt to accept that Gann had been fatally injured or lost in the jungle and perished. When Thompson disappeared, the idea that Jim had met a similar fate was embraced by few. In the absence of any evidence, conspiracy theories abounded, and that's because the bigger the influence that somebody has in the world, the harder it is for people to believe that they died by simple causes or mere accidents. The more powerful the person, the larger the conspiracy grows. But to be fair, some weird things did happen shortly after Jim's disappearance. A few months after he went missing, one of his good friends swore and even reported to the CIA that he saw Jim with an unknown woman in a hotel in Tahiti. He called out to Jim, but the man did not respond and quickly got in the car and drove away. And then there's the element of Jim's other sister, Catherine Thompson Wood, who was a very wealthy woman living alone with two dogs in a mansion in Pennsylvania. Less than six months after Jim disappeared, Catherine was found brutally murdered in her home, beaten to death. Nothing had been taken or stolen from the home, and her dogs apparently never barked or reacted, suggesting that they were familiar with the assailant. Were the two cases related, or were they entirely separate incidents? To this day, the Catherine Thompson Wood murder remains an unsolved cold case. Jim Thompson's house is now one of the top tourist attractions in Bangkok. And when you visit the house today, the tour guides hardly mention any of this. They note that Jim mysteriously disappeared in 1967 and once worked for the OSS. But they tell you almost nothing about the details from that fateful weekend, or about the conspiracies, or Jim's sister, or his affairs, or his personal feuds. The tour mostly focuses on the architecture of the house, the art inside of it, and Jim's impact on the fashion and silk industry. One of the nuggets that always amazes people on the tour, though, occurs when the guide shares this about the role of astrology in Thai culture. For Thai people, astrology is very important for their lives. And many people consult astrologers to set the dates for their marriage or to build a new house. These two charts from Mr. Thompson were made by Thai monks. On the left side here, shows the date of 3 April 1959, the lucky day for Mr. Jim Thompson to move into this house. And on the right here is his horoscope. And according to this chart, Mr. Jim Thompson needed to be very careful when he turned to 61 years old. And in fact, Mr. Jim Thompson disappeared in 1967 when he was 61 years old too. <laughs> it's the little details like this that make the Jim Thompson story so fascinating. But I understand why the Jim Thompson House and Museum doesn't want to focus on his death or the developments that have occurred in the last decade that may offer new clues about Jim's fate. But in some ways, I think that's a pity too. Jim Thompson's silks are beautiful designs, high-quality works of art. But more people, I think, would know about them, would fall in love with them, 
if they knew his story. So this series is going to give you the story that the official tour does not. Because even though Jim Thompson is now certainly dead, his story remains one of the greatest mysteries that's never been solved. And his story can teach us so many lessons. Lessons that revolve around the credibility of psychic powers or the role and evaluation of evidence and probability. And it's a fascinating lesson in Southeast Asian politics and history and culture that just might make you want to visit Jim Thompson's house or Malaysia and Thailand for yourself. So we're going to start to unravel this mystery thread by thread examining some of the case's latest developments and looking at some of the oldest ones. So for our second episode, we're going to start things off by examining an aspect of the case that has always fascinated me, and that's the role of the psychic detective. We're going to talk to an expert who will help us evaluate the psychic detective's role in famous missing person cases and expose some of the most common techniques that they employ to encourage people to believe that their powers are real and to get grieving people to depart with their money. And if you listened to season one of Worldwide, you just might recognize a familiar voice. 